Welcome to Now Appalachian, hosted by author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. And now, Appalachian. And hello, friends. We welcome you again to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, as we continue to profile the outstanding authors, publishers, and editors with connections to the Appalachian region and those who call Appalachian and the Appalachian region home. And I'm your host, Elliot Parker, and it's great to have you with us today as we're going to be talking about uh, South Carolina and Charleston, South Carolina, and that part of Appalachia here today on our program. And we're going to be looking at that through the prism of an outstanding new book written by Gervais Hagerty. It is called In Polite Company. It is her first novel, and uh, Gervais grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, and she spent her early years reporting and producing the news for both radio and television, and she also taught communications at the Citadel. And when she's not writing, she works on local environmental and transportation issues, and she currently lives in Charleston with her husband and her two daughters, and we're so excited to have her on the program today to talk to us about her, her debut novel, and it's a good one, and it's something that I hope you will add to your two be red pile. So Gervais, welcome to Now Appalachia. So good to have you with us here today. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. So I wanted to ask you first about your title, because I think the title says so much about what we experience here in this wonderful story that you've set in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, about a terrific uh, set of characters. And we're going to talk about Simmons Smythe uh, and uh, her family in just a moment. But in polite company, the significance of that title, what does that mean? What does that tell us about the story? Well, first of all, I'm really glad you like it because, man, we had to go through a lot of titles. The original title was Zinnias. And as you know, that's a theme throughout between the main character and her grandmother. But then my editor said, Zinnias, it's just going to be a gardening book. No one's going to know what that is. And she's right. So we looked at a bunch and I really felt good about this one in polite company because this is a book about Charleston, Charleston aristocracy. Charleston is known as a polite town. And as lovely as it is, and as warm and welcoming as it is, sometimes we don't always say what we mean. And sometimes we are trying to behave when really we should listen to our gut. And that is how I chose that title. Very good. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about this sort of setting or environment that we're welcome to uh, when we meet Simmons uh, and her family. Um, one of the things I wanted to, to ask you about was that there seems to be sort of a, a social strata in Charleston and the fictitious Charleston that you're writing about between sort of a, a, an upper class, a more bourgeoisie class, uh, and then just sort of ordinary, more common folk or, or middle class people. And you, you layer that so well in the story, and we'll talk more about it here in just a second. But I wanted to know, is that based on current sort of Charleston mores right now? Because I've been to Charleston. We talked about this before we started recording. I've been to Charleston. It's been several years ago, but it has the drippings of the antebellum South and all of its beauty and charm. But I still wondered if the kind of the, the, the class structure that you talk about in your book, is that representative to you, you believe still of what Charleston is like today? It is. Absolutely. Uh, Charleston certainly has that particular class and I was a very fortunate child to be grown up in it. I went to Cotillion and I made my debut 
And so there are these very charming and wonderful celebrations with these families who live there. And one of the ways we've described the novel is a peek behind the veil of Charleston aristocracy. And that is what this book offers. So it's an insider look at this bit of life. And we have so many newcomers coming to Charleston. Charleston is totally exploded. When you come back, it's gonna look like a very different town except South Abroad. I mean, that's all pretty much looking the same. But there are a lot of newcomers who I just don't know if they would even know what really is happening, you know, and who's, <clears throat> who's really in power. What, uh, what are the cultural norms and structures at play here. And so I am offering some of that fictional, but also based in reality. Excellent. And this family, uh, Simmons Smythe's family, we talk about sort of power and influence. In your story, they have the surname uh, that wields them a lot of status and power. And we learn a little bit about Simmons. Her father belongs to an exclusive all-boys club, uh, Battery Hall, which you write a lot about. Uh, and the membership in that club leads to connections and influence uh, that builds up inside and outside of that club. Her young sister, Caroline, um, you know, uh, <laughs> does a lot of uh, foxtrotting and eating. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, her mother is kind of the, the, the perfect June Cleaver hostess kind of character. Yep. Uh, but the real relationship in the family that is so interesting to me is between Simmons and her grandmother Lottie. Mm -hmm. Have you talk a little bit of, about that relationship and on the surface when you think about the two of them and what's going on with her her parents with Simmons parents it seems like she and Lottie wouldn't have a whole lot to talk about or to say to each other but as we learn as we keep reading they have a lot to say to each other and have had a lot and said a lot to each other. Can you talk about their relationship a little bit and why Simmons and Lottie have this strong connection in the story? Yeah, so Simmons and Lottie both share a rebellious spirit. Um, they both are very aware of their privilege and their beautiful lives, but there's also just something that tugs at their heartstring to kind of look for something else. And that is what Lottie is trying to help Simmons. Um, she's encouraging her to look at the world in new ways. And that relationship is very special to me because I began writing this book, which I think is very a fun and edgy book, but I began writing the book when my dear grandmother was in hospice. We got to be very, very, very close. Um, when I moved back after studying journalism at Chapel Hill, I was taking classes there. I thought, you know, I wanna make, I'm gonna make a concerted effort, not just I'm, I'm going to see her more. I, I had a volunteer. I was with Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is a great organization, but I thought I don't have my grandmother around that much. I'm going to dedicate the hours that I was going to do with a new kid to my grandmother. And it was just a really, really special time. And so when she was in hospice and I was just heartbroken, that is when this novel started to come to be. And then I was shopping the novel around. Um, well, really just trying to have somebody help me uh, just get some advice. And I had been editing it. I've been working on it for years. And there's a writer in town. She lives on the beach, Mary Alice Monroe, and she's been mentoring me. And she took a look at the manuscript and she believed in me, but she said, all this, all Lottie does is die. Like, who is this woman? And that, that was a light bulb moment that my mentor gave me. And I am so grateful for that. And then I thought, God, who is she? And it really pulled the book together. It was so fascinating because now with the early reviews, I'm seeing like Lottie's everybody's favorite character, but that didn't really develop 
you know, I'm just making it up as I go along. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a, you know, it's a first book, but it was that element that becomes the most um, compelling to a lot of readers. And so I, it's an honor uh, to be able to write a story inspired by my grandmother. And I hope she's proud. Uh, she's a great character, and we'll come back to her uh, in just a second. But one of the things I love how you set up the novel in terms of unveiling what's happening uh, to the Smythe family, we get a sense that they're going to be having a great year coming up uh, in the yeah. story. Uh, in October, uh, Simmons' older sister is going to give birth to her second child in November. Her younger sister is going to make her what we call a debut, which is an old Southern tradition where she goes to cocktail parties and balls and all these fancy things to kind of introduce her to the gentleman of Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, and then the following May, Simmons is going to marry a guy named Tripp. Um, but what's interesting about that is after we learn those details is two things happen. One, Simmons calls off the marriage to Tripp. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll ask you to comment on that and why, why she does that. But then also we learn that Simmons, who works and produces news at a local TV station, um, uh, does something to a judge who's a family friend uh, who was taken to jail and released uh, hours later with no charge. Um, she runs that story uh, in its entirety and, in, and, and completely, and that kind of puts some strain uh, on the relationship with her family. So, so what's going on here in terms of Simmons making these decisions that are going to kind of create cracks within the Smythe family facade? First, she decides to, to dump Trip and end that marriage, uh, but she also decides to run the full story about this judge who's run into some trouble, uh, knowing that it's going to cause problems. Well, why does she take those, make those two decisions? Well, so going back to my mentor, she was telling me you need, I'm actually looking above me right now on my desk at a bulletin board. And I wrote it down when she was talking to me, but she says, you have to box in characters to a moment of decision, right? And that's what we do. And so I really wanted to force Simmons's individuation from her family. Her family is a lovely family. They're a family who cares about family. They put family first. They have they have, uh, you know, they, they love each other, they care about each other and they support each other, but there's just this rebellious heart that this young woman has. And also she's aware of some of the, probably I would say kind of built-in unfairness and a lot of the systems that she's a part of. And so that is more shown with her decision with the news story. But then when it comes with the, that's a more ethical, decision she had to make but when it comes to the story of her heart she's with a guy he's a good guy a lot of people would be very happy to have a man like trip in their lives but it just didn't feel right and then big part of growing up is and 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 having a family with so much love for you is also learning that even though they love me what they think is right for me isn't always right for me yeah very good very good and i wanted to read excerpt uh, passage that came uh, in chapter 14. And I think this kind of ties in together exactly everything that you just said about her feelings uh, about Trip and relationship uh, to Lottie um, and kind of everything that's going on when she makes these two decisions. And um, you write in chapter 14, four days have passed since I kissed Harry, three days since my phone call with Trip. I haven't told a soul other than Lottie, and Lottie keeps her secrets. I guess Tripp hasn't said anything either, because in the insular world of old Charleston, news travels fast. 
last. I was going to tell Wheezy about the breakup. I've been waiting for the right time, but there will never be a right time. Best to get it over with. I told Trip, I don't want to get married. What's going on there in that moment kind of, of self-realization of what she set into motion here and kind of the after effects of that? Yeah, well, sometimes in relationships, gosh, it's, I think I actually had Lottie say something along that the life gets messy when your heart isn't where it should be, something along those lines. And so as, as Simmons is struggling to figuring out how she's going to move forward with the decision, she kind of had to push the issue and maybe make a step and an irreversible step toward infidelity because she needed something to push her in the direction that maybe she wasn't quite brave enough to do without that. Yeah, excellent. The title of the book is In Polite Company. It is Gervais Hagerty's debut novel, and we're talking about it here on Now Appalachia on this episode, and we'll come back to the book uh, in just a second. But uh, Gervais, I wanted to talk a little bit about you and your career and, and what you've been doing and have done outside of writing uh, In Polite Company. My first question is, what was it like teaching at the Citadel? Oh, a riot. I loved it. I, I loved it. I... So I taught undergraduates, so they're in uniform. And then I got to wear the uniform, which I loved. A, I'm not a fashionista, so I just love the fact. And I'd bike to work. And then I'd go and I'd suit up. I even have a beret and they'd salute me, which is a, is a trip in itself. And they're such a fun group because at the Citadel, to have fun, they're just getting into mischief. And part of teaching public speaking, which I did a lot of, and I also ran the public speaking club at Toastmasters chapter on campus. But a huge part of that is storytelling, right? And so though there are professors who were there for decades with students, you know, like a chemistry professor or history and they're lecturing, I got to hear their stories every day. And then the students who were part of the club would stay with me over the course of four years. And so I just, I, I just really connected with them. And it's, it was a fascinating group because I did not grow up in a military family and that is a military college. And it was just, you know, especially with so much strife and anger across both sides um, to be there for, I mean, I was there for a decade. I taught for six and a half of those years. It was lovely. It was just lovely and funny and exciting and uh, often ridiculous, um, but I was treated very, very well there and, and, um, and I'm very grateful. And it was actually really hard to leave. I just really wanted to dedicate time to write a book and to finish this book and then start another one. I just, I just had this itch I couldn't get rid of. And I was like, you know what? I bet they would take me back. I know I was a great professor. I'm just gonna try this. And they were, everybody was so good with helping the transition. And we got a great person who has taken over the, the lab that I run in the classes. And, um, but I'm so grateful for that experience. And I know, you know, being a professor myself, the best times to write and sometimes the only times you can find to write are on those breaks, Thanksgiving break, Christmas break, spring break, summertime, especially. Um, is that something that helped you kind of make the decision to step away from that career temporarily to focus on writing is that you, you just needed, you know, more time and more opportunity and more consistent 
uh, time throughout the year to write because I've heard uh, other writers who were professors say that they feel like their writing life is in spurts and starts, mm-hmm. you know, that for spurts and fits. They have, mm-hmm. you know, a week here, two weeks there, a weekend here, a weekend there, and then it's very sporadic and it takes them a long time to finish a project. And yeah. I was wondering if, if having more time to concentrate on writing uh, was, was something that helped you make that decision to step away from the Citadel. Well, 100%. I mean, I had three things in my life, which was my children, my job, and then my passion to write. And one thing had to give. And I wasn't going to be not as good of a professor, you know, so I just was going to either give it my all or or stop. But a fun thing that my husband and I, we made a plan. We're not independently wealthy. And so we're like, how are we going to make it so that I have time? So we started following this cool blog called Mr. Money Mustache. It's a ridiculous name, but it's a great, it's a great place to land if you're looking to really think about how you're spending your money and what you want out of life. And so we just really cut down. We have solar panels. I don't have a car. I have a cargo bike. We compost. He brews beer. We're just, we're just real careful about, and then anyway, so what I, we decided was like, uh, we're going to save up for years. We had this plan. We're going to save up enough money that I would have the same amount of nest egg that I would have if I were working and I'm going to bust my butt and get this book ready and try to sell it. But if I don't, I have a year and we don't have the financial pressure. So that was, um, that really worked well for us. And, um, it's, it's, and, and we, we don't really feel like we sacrificed anything. These bookshelves. Oh, well, sorry. You, the people can't, um, <laughs> see, but <laughs> we're looking at each other right now, but like I built my own bookshelves, like who does that? But it was just because it was kind of inspiring. Like, you know, I don't need to pay someone to do this. I can do this. Like I'm going to do it. So it's been, it's been really fun and, and motivating for sure. Who are some writers that influence or inspire you? Oh, well, so my number one inspiration, I would say, is Sue Monk Kidd. And she wrote The Invention of Wings, Secret Life of Bees, The Dance of the Dissident Daughter. And in fact, her blurb was on the cover of my novel, which is a huge honor. I was just so starstruck when she wrote me an email to say, to, to give the blurb. And I, when I saw the email from her, I went around whooping around the house and kind of half crying. I was just so overwhelmed. My husband goes, well, what does it say? I was like, I don't know. I haven't opened it yet, but she emailed me. So it was, that was really great. And then I'm really digging Leanne Moriarty. I just think she's out of Australia. I just finished Nine Perfect Strangers. I think she's brilliant. I laugh out loud all the time. It's great. So those are the two that are top of mind right now. Excellent. We're speaking with Jervay Hagerty here on Now Appalachia, talking to her about her career as a writer and teaching at the Citadel, but more importantly, her new novel, In Polite Company. So we'll come back to the novel now. And I mentioned we would get back to uh, Lottie. And uh, one of the interesting things I I like about Lottie is that uh, she has some secrets of her own. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there was something that happened to her in her youth that really kind of changed the way she looked at life and looked at people. Um, and we learn that kind of as the story unfolds, the significance of that impact. Can you talk a little bit about, about that and how that kind of shapes Lottie's, not just perceptions of life, but how she kind of relates to Simmons as well? Well, a big part of Lottie is, you're right, it's her past and who she was, and she has that rebellious spirit, but then she was in Atlanta and she moved back to Charleston and then she married her husband Tito and then lived the very somewhat square, but beautiful life that is this path that's laid out for them. 
And I wondered, this goes back to my grandmother. I spent a lot of time with her wondering, who would you be like if you were born at a different time? My grandmother was a very beautiful woman, very stunning. And, um, and I think, I mean, obviously it's fun to be gorgeous, right? But also I think it might've even boxed her in a little bit more of just being this, you know, she's just this beautiful thing to look at. But what did she want? And I remember as I got more bold and we got closer, I would ask her more pressing questions about religion and, and life. And she was so open-minded to listen to that. And I kind of wondered like, what would it be like if we were friends? Like if we were the same age, if she were here now, what sort of adventures would she go on that she wouldn't um, because she was born in a certain time and circumstance? that she was. So that was what got me thinking about creating Lottie. So if you had to think about other than Lottie, because I know you, you've mentioned uh, hers being a character that you, that you really liked. And we, we, we find out later on in the story that, that something happens that threatens Lottie's life. And I, I don't want you to give that away because mm -hmm. I know that is a significant uh, mm -hmm. plot point there. And we don't want to give away that too much uh, for the audience. No spoilers. Want, yes, no spoilers. We want to, yeah. to get a copy of your book and check it out. That's but, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> other, but other than Lottie, um, who, who was, which character did you really enjoy spending time with the most? Because I know uh, that when, yeah. when you're writing and you're creating all these great characters and there's so many great ones in your book, uh, who else did you like spending time with outside of Lottie? Well, I love Martha. So Martha is Simmons's best friend. And Martha is pretty much my alter ego. Martha says what she thinks. She has sex with whoever she wants to. She goes out and she might have a drink. She might not. She might want to smoke a cigarette. You know, I mean, she just, she just does what she wants and she says what she thinks. And she is a hyper contrast to Simmons, who is still, as much as she sees herself as a rebel, she's still very traditional. Um, also somewhat naive, kind of got a little bit of the princess syndrome. So it was really fun to have this alter ego and kind of bat around these two different parts of my personality um, between these two uh, 20 something. So I've, I've really enjoyed creating Martha. Yeah, she, she's a great character too. And I, I was, when I, when I went back uh, today to kind of read through and kind of get the characters resituated in my mind, I kept thinking a little bit of, of kind of what you said. If, if Simmons could step out of the Smythe family legacy or behind that veil of the Smythe family legacy, she might be Marta. I mean, I, I think there is, I, I think there's a, a part of her that would like to be able to say what she thinks and, and yeah. just kind of step outside of the, uh, the roles expected of her and, and, and go get a drink or go smoke a cigarette or do mm -hmm. something like that, uh, mm -hmm. that she can't do because of, of her, of her connections and her family and the legacies and all of that. And so I, I'm really glad to hear you say that. Cause I felt like that, that, she could be Simmons if Simmons was able to be really maybe who she wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it just brings the question of, I mean, who are you without your culture? I mean, so much of who we are is because of that. And it'll be interesting to see some more of like what people, the reviews about the resolution and again, no spoilers, but it's just interesting. I mean, how do you maintain relationships with the people you love? but also grow. And that's a question that I think everybody faces no matter what town they're in. And I think it's good questions to ask. So not to put you on the spot, because I know you mentioned a moment ago, you're working on another book or you've got yeah. one kind of in, in the works, but 
any possibility you're going to spend some more time with Simmons and the Smythe family and maybe take the story forward a little bit in time and uh, let us revisit this great family and kind of what happens to them uh, as Simmons gets a little older and kind of establishes her own identity and uh, as her sisters get older and start getting into motherhood and marriages of their own, any chance we might see them uh, in a future book somewhere? You know, I'm so flattered you asked. I am working on a second book that's independent. But listen, if enough people want me to take me and take my characters to the next level, I will be glad to do it because I've had so much fun with them. But uh, this next book is set on Wadmala Island. And there is a matriarch, but she's younger, kind of sprightly. And uh, it's, uh, they, the family has a manor out there. And the, the matriarch announces that she's selling it and no one knows why. And she's throwing her last gala, which right now I'm calling the first of the camellias. It might change depending on the season that I have to move it into and it might be a magnolia thing. But I'm really excited about it. My editor's pretty pumped. She hasn't bought it yet, but I'm about a hundred pages in. So it, it's fun. <laughs> Fantastic, absolutely. Yes, and, and I'm so glad to hear that too because if you're not having fun with it, it's really not worth doing because- You know, that's so true. It, it's an absolute blast. And, I'm, and I think that's a really good point. You gotta have fun with it because you can't, you can't focus on external, you know, you gotta just see if, how, it, how you feel about it. So true. So Gervais, in our final moments with you today, if uh, anyone wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about uh, you know, your book in Polite Company, or if they wanna just get in contact with you to talk to you about writing in general, how can they do that first of all? And then where can they pick up copies of your book? Oh, okay. Well, great question. Thank you so much. So my, the best way is probably through my website, gervaishagerty.com. And then also my Instagram is gervaishagerty, Facebook gervaishagerty. Of course, my name is a little hard to understand. So it's G-E-R-V-A-I-S and then Hagerty, H-A-G-E-R-T-Y. So go ahead and look there. And then it should be available in stores uh, tomorrow. Well, it will be today uh, when this comes out, uh, August 17th, I will say. And it, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, and um, of course, support your local independent bookstores. Um, if you ask for it, they will be able to get it for you. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. And uh, when, when we talk about uh, names and things, I'm so thankful that you uh, did not uh, end the interview and I mispronounced your name and your character's names and I got everything <laughs> all messed up. We started recording today. So I appreciate. Uh, oh, that is that. That's just what it is around here. We have very complicated ways of pronouncing words. <laughs> understand that understand that totally we've been delighted to be joined today uh by gervais hagerty her new book is called in polite company uh it is a fantastic new book she unlocks riddles from the past involving simmons Smythe and her family uh, but also you learn as you read the book that some rules are meant to be broken this is a terrific book with some characters that you're going to fall in love with and think about long after uh, you get to the last page. So Gervais, congratulations on the book. It's wonderful. It's a great book that everyone needs to add to their to-be-read pile. And uh, as you get that second novel uh, finished and put together, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it. So thanks so much. Oh, it would be an honor and a pleasure. Please, I've had so much fun. Thank you so much for being with us.
Okay. We want to take a moment as we uh, finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special shout out to the executive producer of Now Appalachia and the executive producer of all the podcasts that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Her name is Pam Stack. Pam, thank you so much uh, for all of your work behind the scenes to make these podcasts possible. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. Stay tuned for more outstanding podcasts from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.